Coming up, Scotland's Katie McGill on the return of the Women's Premier League and a chat through the Men's League and Cup action, including a cracking win for Uddingston in our featured game in the Western Premier Division. This is the Cricket Scotland podcast. Ball out there, give Hamilton any wits, he'll take you. Captain Catherine Bryce comes under it, she won't make any mistake. That's the first wicket for Scotland. Six to win and Richie Barrington has finished it with a six. And that's the win for Scotland, they've secured the Super over. Oh, must be out, it is out! Scotland have done it! What a victory this is for Scotland, the greatest in their cricketing history. Welcome again. A packed show today with round one of the Men's Scottish Cup to look back on, as well as all that news from the league, Rosie. Yes, the games are coming in thick and fast, and it's only going to get busier with the return of the Women's Premier League next week. I can't wait. After Carlton did the league in Cup double last year, there are seven other teams keen to knock them off their perch. Amongst them, former champions Stuart Melville, who finished runners-up in the competition last time round. To look ahead to the competition, we were joined by Scotland International and Stu Mellow rounder Katie McGill, who's just as excited as we are. Katie, really warm welcome back to the podcast. Now, the last time we had you on was literally the day after you submitted your PhD thesis. Uh, safe to say quite a lot has happened since then. Quite a lot and also nothing. I'm still working on my final corrections to polish that all off. Um, so, yeah. Katie, a hugely exciting weekend coming up with the start of the Women's Premier League. How are you feeling? Yeah, excited. Um, it's looking good. It's exciting to see things like the Northern Lights pop up. Um, and last year we saw kind of a real investment from the Scotland national players into the Women's Premier League and, and what that did to the standard cricket. So I think now that there's been a year for that to bed in and for the, like the club cricketers to see that um, and inspire them and hopefully help them develop over the winter, I think it should be a really good competition and quite an open competition this year. It's going to be hard to pick. And how have your preparations been going? Yeah, pretty well. Um, we had a bit of a quiet break after we got back from Malaysia in January as the national squad. So it feels like I've started the season like a normal club cricketer for the first time in a few years, given our international um, timetable and calendar we've had. So, yeah, it's been nice and it feels like I'm itching for a game, which is good. So second place in the table for your club, Stuart Melville, last time round. That huge win over Carlton in round two, but losses against Watsonian's Grange and, and West of Scotland proving costly in the end. But apart from you and Catherine Fraser, there were some other really impressive performers in the ranks last year, the likes of Catherine Holland, Emma Walsingham, Molly Payton, who all finished the season well up in the averages. So what's the what's the mood around the club now going into the new year and the new campaign? I think for us, it is real belief in our depth. Um, you can add a few more names onto that list of people that might surprise those that don't know them, I think um, Izzy Armstrong's coming of age. Uh, Rosie Speedy's really finding her straps as a fast bowler. Good name for it as well. Um, so I think it is that real belief in depth and that actually we don't sit on any linchpins. So if commitments change or anyone has a bad day or gets injured, hopefully none of those things happen. But I think we have got a good 20 to choose from. And obviously, after a couple of years away, it's quite nice to welcome Hannah Short back as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, my next question is kind of kind of for both you and Rosie, actually. Rosie is the uh, as a player and organiser of the competition too. I mean, it's such 
a joy for me covering this, not only as a reporter, but as someone interested in the grassroots of Scottish cricket as well, because there is an atmosphere around these games unlike any other. You know, they're really competitive as you expect them to be. But I always get the sense that behind the rivalry, there is an eye on the bigger picture all the time, on the the fundamental message of getting women and girls involved and playing and ready to come back for more. Is is that a fair assessment, do you think? Jake, yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, just from a personal perspective of playing, when I get excited to see every team because we, I guess within the women and girls game, you're all quite close-knit still. It's still not huge, but it's it's very close-knit. So you end up knowing quite a lot of people and other teams. And it's like, it is almost like a family gathering, like in a sense, because you're actually seeing people that you've not seen in ages. Like I'm excited to go and play Stu Mel and see Katie and Hannah. And, you know, it, it's that kind of vibe. And actually, that's really exciting because that hopefully that kind of, I guess it's almost like a culture kind of hopefully <clears throat> feeds through for for the younger ones as well and they get excited to see their mates so and you do see that especially when the girls are playing regional cricket and pathway cricket like you know they're turning up and they're they're having a wee laugh with um you know maybe a, a girl that plays in the east with them or a play a girl that plays in the west or at cali and and that's great and actually that's what you you want so you know it's in a sense, it is like a big kind of uh, family coming together and it's a sense of belonging as well, which is like the best part about uh, cricket that I find. But I don't know, Katie, if you've got any uh, other thoughts to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Was, we had a little friendly against Carlton the other night and we were chatting about this after the game, how if you're like an Abby Aitken, you get these girls that have seen Abby play for Scotland for so long and then play against her. And genuinely challenge her. Like, it's not even like a token thing of, oh, Abby's batting against me. You know, like they're bowling at Abby Aiken and like genuinely challenging her and, and genuinely getting complimented. And it's so good to see that, to be so close to that top level. And, and for these girls who, yeah, a lot of them I've met the first time when they were playing softball cricket and to now see them up there and, and knocking on the door of regional and junior pathways. And each year you come back and you've, as always, you've got to be on our toes, you know? <laughs> it's, um, not going to be too long before we push outside so it's awesome to see that and I think year on year you do see the growth and development of of Scottish women's cricket and in a really tangible way so I think that's always really cool and then like you say yeah the old friendships are always really good I'll make sure it gets cool for a bouncers that kind of thing uh, <laughs> a little bit of friendly rivalry in there but yeah all all always done with wanting the game to be the best game possible and I think that's a very women's cricket thing so with your your development as well as as playing hats on, uh, both of you working for Cricket Scotland, of course, in a development role. I mean, how would you assess where we are in terms of the women's game in Scotland at the moment? I think the biggest indicator of that in terms of club land is the fact that this year we're going to introduce a challenger level of hardball cricket. So uh, a league or set of organised fixtures that sit between the wee bash at softball and that Premier League and just to have the strength, depth and like a real clear appetite from the clubs to want to do that. Um, and then more and more schools taking up cricket as well. So it's the numbers are there. And I think this year with less pressure from restrictions and stuff is really letting us kind of go out and do all these things. And Rosie and I have had conversations where the hardest thing is finding enough Sundays to fit everything, which is an awesome place to be in uh, when you think about where we were sort of five to 10 years ago when I started playing in Scotland. And it was kind of the two clubs having a go and it was all a little bit testing the water. 
Yeah, I agree <clears throat> with Katie as well on that note because I think um, year on year it grows and we fill in another gap, so to speak. And <clears throat> how do we just make sure that we get all women and girls playing cricket in Scotland? And that is the the main pro- priority. How do we? My main priority. Um, and how do we make sure that there's something for for everyone at all ages and levels? And you know, there's still there's still gaps, but I think they're they're less they're not as big anymore, and I think well, every year we we try and I mean so to speak close close another one. Um, but it's exciting and and yeah the the kind of challenger cricket that's going to happen at the same time as as kind of regional games and and that will provide an opportunity for those players that aren't playing regional cricket, um, you know, or, or international uh, cricket as well. That will hopefully provide an opportunity for for girls to shine in that and that and and women is you know women and girls and that, and that's exciting as well and just making sure that they've got opportunities to develop and shine. I think that's the the main thing. Um, so I do think it's growing year on year. You know, we've got Katie in the East. We've got Nathan in the West. Tony uh, up North in the kind of Aberdeen and, and North area and, and further than Aberdeen, Elgin and all. And then we've got Blade in the kind of Central area. So I think, you know, within those development roles as well, everyone's got women and girls. And, and that's really exciting as well because you're feeding that. They're all driving women and girls cricket and it, we're all singing off the the same hymn sheet, so to speak. So it's a, it's a really exciting time and we've got a great team in development that, that are driving women and girls um, cricket forward. And I'm really proud of everyone that I work with, actually. I think you also have to credit clubs with that. Like the number of conversations I now go in and hear clubs go, we'd really like to do something for the women. And I'm fairly sure that's a relatively new conversation. And it's just awesome that people think about it, even if they're not maybe there this year and they're looking a year or two away. But yeah, the fact people are asking the question, it just shows there's, we're setting roots. Yeah, just echoing what you what you said about the improvement. I mean, just going along to, for example, the Beyond Boundaries Cup finals day, you know, the improvement that that's taken place in the standard of cricket there, the amount of people taking part, the level of the people that are taking part, has been really noticeable over over these last uh, these last few years. It's a a really sharp upward trajectory, and and long may it continue. Um, so back to the the Premier League. So fantastic as as you were saying, Katie, to have an eighth team this year in the form of Northern Lights, and a bit of reorganisation too, with Watsonians and Grange now playing as separate teams after putting out an amalgamated side last year. So what should we expect in the competition this time round, then? Do you think? Yeah, some unknowns in there. So um, I know from the the girls I train with in the Scotland squad that are from the north, they are so invested into that Northern Lights team. So I think they might, a bit like West of Scotland did when they popped up, come and surprise a few folk and really challenge. I think in the Grange, you'll see a a team with a lot of potential, but maybe some younger girls. And then Watsonians have that feeder from George Watson's College. So all these new teams have real strong foundations. I think you're going to see good depth across the board. And I think uh, I think you're going to see from your international and pathway players that they know that it's um, it's not a free ride and they've got to play their best cricket to keep the positions in the systems and, and keep dominating the way that they should. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm so happy to see a team uh, from the north of Scotland joining the Women's Premier League and it opens up opportunities for, for girls up in that 
area as well that may not have had access um, to those playing opportunities in the Women's Premier League before. So it, it's hugely exciting and, and to have some of those players that were in that northern area, they can now play for a northern team, so to speak, as well. So that's great. Um, and not as much travel as well, hopefully. So to finish, let's go behind the badge again with some extra questions. Now, Hamza was extremely slick with this last week, although he didn't like neither dogs nor cats. Can you believe it? Anyway, here goes a quick fire 10. So Katie, are you are you ready? I'm a dog person. <laughs> well, we know that. We know that. Okay. Okay, here we go. So Jake, what you don't see is Rosie and I have meetings and then get our dogs to try and say hi to each other. <laughs> You're not supposed to say this on the podcast, Katie. Oh, you can carve it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right, here here goes nothing. Century or Pfeiffer? Pfeiffer, the hardest to get. Beach or city break? Beach. Anything but the city. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Would you rather be really tall or really short? <laughs> really short and closer. I'd acclimatise better. Are man cads okay? Oh, yes, but I wouldn't do it. Reality TV or current affairs? Oh... Married at first sight while scrolling The Guardian on my phone. <laughs> I knew that would be tricky for you, actually. <laughs> Clowns, yes or no? No, thanks. What superpower would you like to have? Fly. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg. Dinosaurs had eggs. What would be your walk-on music? Oh, um... Oh, that's really tough. Because I feel like if I say something, what if we get it one year and then I have to stick by it? So I don't want to be stupid. <laughs> Everyone um, always finds that one tough, don't they, Jake? Oh, yeah, 100%. I now literally just can't think of a song. Uh, <laughs> Deathly Silence. <laughs> <laughs> that's normally what I walk off to. sound of my own footsteps (laughs) i um when i first got a smartwatch i think it might have been a regional game but i started like recording the activity so the person before me got out and i like recorded it went out took my mark got a first ball off all of montgomery clipped off something with a great ball and then walked back and then stopped recording but they'd done gps Like it's not awful music, but I think it's one of my favourite Strava uploads. <laughs> and it's just like a little line out and back. <laughs> and two two minutes off activity. <laughs> Heart rate 180. <laughs> so, say you had that rarest of things, an actual day off, which I know is a very rare thing for you, Casey. No cricket, no plans. What would be your ideal way of spending it? Um... So a little bit of an escape, um, probably a mountain or a hill involved with the dog on a bike and then a very fire safety conscious, no burning down our natural peatlands, beachside fire. Um, yeah, and a, a little camp out with a whiskey and a beer. Very simple person, but that's it. The dog, 
and my partner. I should probably mention that. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you could change anything about cricket in the game at all, what would it be? I think we need to give the bowlers a little bit more help. So it would be something along the lines of, oh, next person out. Not an extra person out, like, oh, oh, like you can come round or change the army bowling with it without telling the umpire. Because batters can switch it. And you're starting to see these folk that can bowl ambidextrously. So, like, let them have a crack. I would still get out. I mean, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me if I was on the receiving end of it. Well, Katie, thank you so, so much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Casey McGill, you can catch the opening round of the Women's Premier League via CS Live, but why not pop along? There are matches at Port Gower Place, Grange Lone, Inverleith and Nunham next Sunday. And as I was saying over the interview, you're sure to find a great atmosphere as well as some great cricket to enjoy. You certainly will. But on to the league action from last weekend and our featured game of the week, which comes from the Western Premier Division, Jake. Yes, indeed. Uh, It was, as we'll discuss, a day that produced some big results in the Western Premier. And that was certainly the case at Bothwell Castle Policies, where both Uddingston and Eyre were looking for their first league wins of the season. Both had had a mixed start, Uddy looking promising in the abandoned match against Prestwick before slipping to a disappointing defeat away to Stirling County. Air racking up a mammoth 349 with balls to spare at Nunham before losing by 89 at home to Fergusley. So here was the chance to bounce back against a major rival. And it was the home side that did it in some style at the end, but only after a game that ebbed and flowed and provided a real workout for both sides. Forget a game of two halves, here was a game of two ends. The poor weather that was a feature of the last week in the west of Scotland left its legacy in a soft outfield and a pitch that had to be reused, the rain thwarting any chance of properly preparing a new one. It was a dry, later fairly dusty surface which straight away showed its character. From the clubhouse end, there was not much pace or carry. Scott McKelney, opening the bowling after Uddy chose to bat first, worked hard from the off, banging the ball in, but that it was barely climbing above Moa Wace's waistband, uh, Wace not being exactly the tallest of players, rather said it all. But there was plenty of life from the scorebox end, McKelney's new ball partner Hamza Tahir immediately finding the extra bounce that would remain there for the rest of the game. It was Hamza who claimed the first wicket too after Ziggy Ahmed shouldered arms to a ball that cannoned into his off stump. But from there, a game of cat and mouse between bat and ball developed. Aman Ramzan played some nice shots before playing on to Neil Flack, while Amir Gul was unlucky to see a beautifully timed push slow up and stop an inch or two inside the rope, that spongy outfield making it even harder for the batting side to claim the runs their shots deserved. Three balls later, Angle was gone. Another scalp for Flack. At 54 for three, it was the bowling side that fancied their chances. But only if they could remove a waste. The Uddingston opener had given a half chance early on, an edge flying past the diving fielder, but his class was showing again as he quietly accumulated his runs. And sometimes not so quietly, a waste going down on one knee to smash Matthew Baines into the hockey court over square. At the other end, Fergus Clark was batting well, driving for four through the covers in the 27th before hitting another straight back over the bowler's head two overs later. The drinks interval had marked the halfway point of the innings in more ways than one as the batters began to put their foot down. And although Clark fell with the score on 86, Michael English finding the faintest of nicks through the keeper, Ross Lyons came in to continue what had been a definite uptick in the innings' momentum. 
Oase hit a second six to move to 45, then a cut through backward point to reach his 50 and take the score on to 125-4. Third six came in the 39th, Oase with the hold the pose drive over long on and into the car park. A shot matched by Lyons two balls later, the sight screen stopping the ball as it descended. With wickets in hand, both batters were happy to chance their arm. Oase top-edging McKelney over the keeper and then taking on a short one, put down at deep square leg. But with the partnership on 84, McKelney made a crucial double breakthrough as Oase fell for 76, Pushkar Bandari taking a well-judged catch at mid-off before Lyons followed him for 29, caught behind by Dwayne Grobler. 172 for 6 had become 197 for 9 by the end, McKelney finishing with 4 for 36. It was one of those in-between sort of scores that was quite difficult to assess. Both sides had cause for satisfaction at the halfway point, but straight away there was an interesting change in approach. Whereas air had opened with seam from the clubhouse end and spin from the scorebox, Udi did the opposite, and it was Seema Abdul-Sabri who made the early breakthrough as Lloyd Jefferson played on in the third to leave the chasing side 3-for-1. But in Michael English and Neil Flack, air have two batters who can turn a game very quickly. English found the rope with a pull through mid-wicket in the fifth, before Flack did the same with a skip and a smash through mid-off, going two better in the ninth with the first six of the innings to take the score on to 29. In between times, though, Amir Gul was building the pressure with an unbroken spell from the clubhouse end, making up for the lack of turn in the pitch by varying his length, pace and flight superbly. Not that there was no help at all. That low bounce was getting lower. One ball to Flack, pitch then scooted past off stump, while another to English somehow missed everything in the 16th. But in the next, it was Ross Lyons who finally broke what was now a 50 partnership as he bowled Flack with his second ball. And when a deserved reward came for Gull in his final over, Grobler smacking the ball straight into the hands of Lyons at mid-wicket, Air was 60 for three. With English still there, however, so were his side's chances. A second four and a six taking him to 35 and Air into drinks at 86 for three, 19 ahead of where their opponents had been at the same stage. But then came the big moment. A superb tumbling catch from a waist at first slip and the air skipper was on his way. A fifth wicket partnership of 34 between Neil Logan and Mikey Miller kept air in it. But with the spinners really turning the screws now, Uddy's victory seemed only a matter of time. Lyons finished with 3 for 12 and a waist 3 for 29. The opener underlining his player of the match performance with another fine catch at gully to confirm a 49 run win. An intriguing game, a big result for Uddingston, and afterwards I spoke to Michael English and to winning captain Brian Clark. So Brian, congratulations! Massive win, get your season up and running. Yeah, I think I think that's it, Jake. You know, we we had a poor start last weekend. Um, we were way off the boil, but actually we fought hard, and sometimes sometimes things like that bring you a wee bit closer together. So a couple of new guys in this year, important for them to be involved. A man contributed brilliantly last week. Sadly. We lost in um, Manib this week with a niggle, you know, so he's, he's, he's injured, he's got a bad hammy, so um, big one for the guys. I thought I thought we batted really well as a unit. Our waist was tremendous, you know. Um, <laughs> he was he seemed to be behind the eight all of the time, but, you know, looking at it, and, and obviously we're following it quite closely with electronic scoring and stuff now, he was in the 30s having faced 40-odd balls or something ridiculous like that. So the way he batted, kept his concentration accelerated, just shows you how good a player he is, you know. Um, and I think we, we worked hard around about him, so a couple of partnerships. He and Fergus had a good partnership, and he and Ross accelerated um, from that point, and we put together an innings, and 
On a bit of a tired pitch, I have to say that the weather certainly in the west has been poor, so you know we've struggled to get anything new up and running, much as we'd love to. But um, you know, it's on a bit of a warm pitch. So winning the toss was important. You know, you're coming up against a very good air side. Um, they've they've recruited well. You know, they're overseas a good player. Mike English does so well for them. You know, coaches organises things like that, and and Hamza is obviously class apart with the ball so big one for us I think here will do very well this year but but important for us to get up and running you know yeah well, it was a great performance with the bat I mean underlined by that that partnership of uh, of 84 between yeah. Oasis and Ross yeah really good really good um, Ross Ross brings so much to it you know has the ball in funny areas and, and goes big as you know as you've seen so um, I, I guess you'd be a bit disappointed never kicked one again we felt we'd left a few out there if we're completely honest, um, but you know, 197 is always going to be competitive. Tire pitch, we've had to go a little bit horses for courses this week, so Amers opened up, um, which gives us a little bit of control and and obviously a little bit trickier and, and that sort of pitch, you know. But Ross bowled beautifully, absolutely beautifully. I think I think Oasis has walked away with four and Ross three, I'm not, not so sure, but um, but Ross bowled beautifully the ball he got Mikey with was was a cracker he's he's in great form you know so um, it's going to take something special to get rid of him Fergusley next week yep we've got a decent record at Fergusley um, we've we've always competed really well with them and um, we could have them one of those strange ones you know you have a run of them actually we would play them or Stenhouse Muir in the next round of the cup so aye, quite interesting but yeah we've done well at Fergusley in the past um, really good side though um, and probably um, probably everyone's favourites for the league last year, I think, over here, just because they got so close last year and they've, they've improved again and they're, they're coming on you know, with their young players yet again. So, yep, that'll be another tough one, but, but great to get a start and we'll go with, with loads of confidence and feeling good about ourselves, you know. So, Mikey, fantastic game, a lot closer than it seemed by the result at the end there, but pretty tough to take. Yeah, it's disappointing. I think we, we worked really hard in the first innings to, to call it back. Um, I think they were looking at 230, 240 at one point. We started off really well, but they had a good partnership through the middle and I think to call it back to 200, we felt the momentum was with us, but the pitch was it was pretty tough out there. Um, it, it showed and the outfield was pretty slow, but I think we've got to be disappointed. We, we had a lot of poor dismissals that I think the boys in the changing room have to have a look at and really, really take ownership of some of the dismissals because it was pretty poor. As you say, conditions-wise, it was pretty tough all, all day but it seemed to get lower and slower which really played yeah. into their spinners hands as yeah. the game went on yeah I mean I think Brian knows how to play here and knows how to win a game of cricket so I think he identified pretty quickly that the pitch was, was dying and uh, he, he brought his kind of slower bowlers on and manipulated um, manipulated the field quite well to, to keep it tight for us and I think as soon as I got out we, we had to really try and stand up and, and show a bit of fight and a few dismissals were just it was just tough to take Still, Sterling tomorrow in the cup, and then chance to get the season off and running yeah. properly against West next week. Yeah, I think we've. I mean, we targeted the first two games and thought we we can put up a fight and, and try and try and get two wins. So obviously not worked out. So the only thing we can do is turn up tomorrow and, and try and get a, a good win at Sterling, and like you say, that will kick start the season hopefully, um, and then go straight into West at home next next week. So yeah, I'm excited for it. It's, it's just the only thing you can do is get back at, get back and try and win again. So it's good to be tomorrow. All the best, Mikey. Thanks Perfect. Very much. Thank you very much. A big win for Uddingston then. But as you said at the start, there were some significant results elsewhere in the division as well. 
Yeah, um, starting with a massive one at Dumfries, uh, where the home side got an absolutely stunning win over Fergusley. On the podcast last week, we highlighted just how tough this division is to call, and here was a perfect example. Thomas McBride and Alan Davidson got Dumfries to 199, but it was their performance with the ball that got them home, headlined by Tommy McGrath's 3 for 16. Fergus Lee got straight back on the horse the next day uh, against Stenhousemu in the Cup, as did Air in their tie against Stirling County that Mike English was talking about earlier. Um, but it adds a little extra to that big game with Uddingston next week. And talking of Air again, their game against West will have another dimension too after they got their first win away to Stirling County, who had had that great result last week against Uddy. It all leaves Clydesdale and Prestwick out on their own at the moment. Clydesdale looking particularly menacing in bowling their opponents out in double figures for the second time in two games. Daniel Cairns, a standout again. What a start to the season he's had. Six for 19 last week, two for eight this. Uh, Both sides will fancy their chances of making it three out of three this coming Saturday. But as we've seen this week, Rosie, who knows? Yeah, and as you say, Daniel Cairns has taken an amazing 8 for 27 in his two games so far. Pretty amazing. As our Heriots in the East, Gary Heatley's with us again. An 8-wicket win for the title holders at Watsonians. What caught your eye there and elsewhere in the Eastern Premier League at the weekend, Gary? Yes, as you say, Rosie, Heriots backed up their win over Grange in week two with with another Edinburgh Derby victory, this time against Watsonians. The standout performers for the Golden Acre men where Seymour Neil Alexander with six wickets and skipper Lloyd Brown, who scored an unbeaten century with the bat. Alexander now has nine wickets in just two league outings for his new club. And he, joking on Gray and spinner Ryan Brown, are going to have to lead the attack in the next couple of weeks with Adrian Neil and Gavin Main away with Scotland to the USA and Mark Watt on Derbyshire duties. With the bat for Heriots, the likes of Lloyd Brown, Hayes Vandenberg and Callum Martin will also need to be informed in the next few weeks with Matthew Cross also heading to the USA. This is going to be a crucial part of the season for Heriots and will test their strength and depth. Other winners of week three were Forfarshire, Sonny Dice, R.H. Christorfin and Grange. Looking at early season leaders, Forfarshire, and they really have impressed so far this term. And although they'll have Michael Leask in the USA for the next few weeks, another Scotland cap, but not one who's travelling this time in the shape of Craig Wallace, is in cracking form. He scored a half century in the unfinished week one clash at Stonywood, then made 72 versus Stuart's Melville, in week two, and 82 versus Falkland at the weekend just gone. He then added 30 in the cup win over our growth on Sunday, meaning that he scored 240 runs already in 50 over cricket this summer. While their bowling attack has been on fire, keeping their opponents to low scores, 2019 champions are certainly ones to watch. And I'm also keen to talk about Stereo Dice. In the last two weeks, their batting has really fired, scoring 280 versus Falkland and then 271 versus our growth. And they're really going to be an interesting team to watch in the next few weeks. Last season, they ended up near the bottom of the table because their away form was poor. But if they can get strong teams out on the road, then Jamie Kingside could look to compete for a top-half finish in the league this season, although there is a long way to go. As Jake touched on already, it was the first round of the Men's Scottish Cup on Sunday. Some fascinating ties in there, including a couple between sides from the Eastern and Western Premiers. What were your other highlights there, Gary? Yeah, in the top half of the draw, there was a win for Forfarshire at Arbroath, as we already mentioned. While Carlton, Holders, Heritz, Aberdeenshire, R.H. Christopher and Watsonians also won. Aberdeenshire getting the better of Grumpeller up at Manifield caught the eye, as did the 154 not out from just 124 balls 
from their player coach, Dean Forrester. 21-year-old South African also hit the century on league duty on Saturday versus Gordonians. So if Carlsberg did do cricket weekends, then that one would be right up there. For RH Christophen, Liam Naylor and Sean fisher Q scored a half-century and took a three-wicket haul, respectively, in their win at Presswick. And those two hungry young players look like very good signings for the Edinburgh club. While what Swinian's Gregor Carr held his nerve to hit the winning run off the last ball at Kelburn. If eastern sides reigned in the top half of the draw, then the bottom half was mainly about the west. Fergus, they last won the trophy in 2008, but will fancy a good run this time around. And they have the team to do it, while Ayr, Langside and Clydesdale are also through to round two. Scott McKellner was the star for Ayr in their triumph over Stirling County, scoring 80 with the bat and then taking four for 19 from nine overs. And a word for Gala, although they lost at Clydesdale, they should be commended for scoring 237 batting first against the Glasgow side. And it goes to show that there is still a real buzzer in the competition with smaller clubs still keen to take on the more established ones and give them a better run for their money. Stuart's Melville and Grange also got through in the bottom half. And with Chris Greaves and Dylan Budge soon to be with Scotland, Jack Jarvis and Angus Brown could not have chosen a better time to come to the party with the bat. They were asked open versus Meagle, and they thrived on that opportunity, scoring 144 and 132 respectively to put on 276 for the first wicket. And now it'll be great to see how that duo get on in the coming weeks with that confidence boost. So the next round of the Cup will be played on the 5th of June. Carlton v Heriots and Uddingston Fergusley, a couple of ties that jump out there. Yes, they're absolutely brilliant ties. Carlton finished second to Heriots in the Eastern Premier last season. And both teams have match winners throughout their sides. While Eddingston have not won the trophy since back-to-back wins in 2010 and 11, and Fergusley, as previously mentioned, not since 2008. So one of those two sides will really fancy their chances if they can get through this round two tie. Other matches that look tasty are Stony with Dice against Forfordshire People's Park and West of Scotland against Clydesdale. By the time this round is played, all clubs will still be without their Scotland players. So it really will be interesting to see which players grab ties by the scruff of the neck in just under three weeks' time. What's catching your eye in round two, Jake? Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly echo um, uddingston Fergusley, uh, two teams that I've watched uh, quite a lot recently, of course. Uh, both have have the players to put together a really good, uh, really good cup run. And yeah, West against Clydesdale will be another good one. Uh, Hamilton Crescent uh, quarter-finalists against semi-finalists from last year, of course. Air Langside will be a fascinating one too. Another all-Western Premier tie. Uh, so yeah, plenty, plenty there to look forward to. Plenty to look forward to indeed, Jakes. But that's it from us for this week. Thanks to Gary and all of our other guests and to you, of course, for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday. See ya!